Welcome to the Quo, a community of challengers, disruptors, and changemakers. I'm your host, Pyle Patel. Join me as I dive into stories at the intersection of gender, race, and social and economic issues. This podcast series spotlights individuals from various industries, disciplines, and walks of life who are challenging the status quo. Through interesting and thought-provoking conversations, the quote aims to elevate the voices and stories of endeavoring change agents in hopes of empowering communities and inspiring meaningful change within our society through education, advocacy, and the power of storytelling. Are you ready? Let's get it. Hello and welcome to The Quo, episode four. Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. I'm sending a warm embrace to our Hispanic and Latinx friends. We're so happy to celebrate you, your wonderful and beautiful different cultures, the contributions of your ancestors and your history. We're also celebrating Self-Care Awareness Month this month, which is September and a very important topic. And there's a lot to discuss with uh, taking care of ourselves. It's just so necessary. And I'm going to talk about these things with today's guest, which is Maria Castro. She's the Regional External Affairs Manager at Comcast, where she helps implement meaningful programs that deliver social impact to communities in need. But her impact extends far beyond her day job. She's also the founder and CEO of Hashtag Love Purse. I actually love this. A project that donates purses filled with essential products for women who are homeless and or survivors of domestic violence. I'm really, really excited to talk more about this initiative with her. But in addition to this work, she serves as the chairwoman for the Hispanic Scholarship Fund's Chicago chapter, Telemundo Chicago's Action Board, Women's Business Development Center's Advisory Council, and the DePaul Art Museum's Board of Directors. She's also been recognized with many, many awards uh, throughout her career for her exemplary work in the Hispanic and Latinx community, advocacy for women, people with disabilities, and so much more. Uh, in 2009, there was a proclamation that was um, actually issued in her honor to celebrate Maria Castro, Day, Maria Castro Day in the city of Aurora, which is the second largest city in the state of Illinois. So you know you've made a dent in the universe when you've got a whole day designated to your honor, okay? So Maria's a real deal, and I'm so honored to have her here in this episode. So let's bring her on. Maria, welcome. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. I was watching your intro and I was like, oh my God, I love it. Like I love all of the pictures and the excitement and everything that goes with that. So thank you. I appreciate you offering to host me today and to talk about all the things that I love to do. <laughs> yes, of course. I know. I I just thought you were such a fitting guest. And, and before we even dive into your background, I, I have to say that um, while I've I've known you through some of the work that that's overlapped uh, between mine and yours, we actually emceed an event together, the Publicity Club of Chicago's Golden Trumpet Awards. However, the funny thing is, is that when we did that, it, it was during the pandemic, right? So we were we were virtual, and we went into studio to record our parts. And though, even though we're co-emceeing, we were not in the same room, and so we were kind of passing ships. Like you recorded your session, and then you left, and I came in and recorded mine. And it was funny because we we're throwing it back to each other, and neither of us are in the room. That's the magic of broadcast, I guess. But um, 
then we stayed in touch and connected over social media. And since then, I've just so enjoyed following your work. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And it's funny because I just um, co-emceed um, an event for the Women's Business Development Center for their pitch competition. So myself and one of my counterparts from NBC5, Emma Asante, we were doing the same thing. So they were, they were right i know it, it's so odd right now with um all the virtual stuff but it, it it's cool and it still brought us together and now here we are um engaging in a really important conversation and so i'm so excited to have you you've actually been on my mind as uh, someone i wanted to chat with on the quo um, because when I think of people who I know are living and breathing their commitment to service and purpose-driven work and making real change in their community, you're definitely among those people that I know. And so, um, in fact, actually, you made it part of your actual job. So I first want to hear a little bit more about your, your work at Comcast and how you've um, used that to really connect with a lot of important nonprofits in the Chicagoland area. Can you tell us more about that? Sure, sure. So I've been with Comcast for 16 years now. And throughout those 16 years, I have had the extreme pleasure and privilege of working with a lot of nonprofits, you know, in the um, greater Chicago region, which is what I serve. And so as you, you know, go through all of that for so many years, you really become aware of all of the amount of work that goes into just having a community filled with, you know, all the needs that you have, right? So anything from people with disabilities to domestic violence, to education, to, you know, career development and that kind of thing. And, you know, our focus is really, obviously we're a technology company. So, but majority of our focus is making sure that our communities, especially communities that are underserved and communities of color, are getting what they need in terms of technology. So our internet essential programs to make sure that families are connected, especially during now, you know, the times of pandemic when the kids weren't able to be in school and families were working from home and um, so much more. So, you know, we just have done this now for so long that it's second nature to us, but it also has enabled us to really make sure that there's a level playing field when it comes to, you know, people who cannot afford our top tier type of internet, now they have access and they have all of the things that come with that, whether it's training online or, um, you know, certainly now that we have partnered with Chicago Connect, you know, all of the CPS students are connected because of this program. Um, but there's so much more to that because we do sponsorships of events and we also do, you know, um, foundation grants. And so those grants are really essential for a lot of our nonprofits. Uh, when it comes to making sure that they have what they need with the technology that obviously they're they're being afforded with the participants and or students that they may have that come in for classes whether it be english as a second language or after school help or um you know just runs the gamut career development is a huge one but it's been an amazing ride and because of that i have met so many amazing people in these nonprofits that now I consider really good friends of mine. And as I started looking to see how else I could help during pandemic, it was because of the people that I had surrounded myself with that I really came, you know, it came full circle for me and I realized where there was the biggest need and that was with women mainly, um, you know, being disrupted from their households and things like that. But really it, it has afforded me the opportunity to be able to say, hey, you know, I know where the biggest needs are. I know who the players are at those particular organizations. Let me reach out to them and see how I can help. 
Yeah, no, that's really incredible. And you've been there since 2005, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So has that work always been a part of um, what you did or is it something that's uh, increased over time? I, I would imagine, especially with accelerators like the pandemic that have really pointed out disparities, right? And um, have pointed out needs that are um, even more glaring than ever before. So yeah. has this work kind of evolved for you as, as time has progressed? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it started as mainly just, you know, working in the community and, and being at a lot of events, so to speak. Um, and then it kind of just evolved again because of the disparity in the um, world of technology that we found that there was such a big need. And the president of our senior vice president of our company at the time said, we need to make sure that everybody is connected because we can't have, you know, some people connected and some not. And then of course, with the pandemic, when that hit, and the social unrest and all the things that have been taking place within our communities, there has been such a dynamic shift, you know, a pivoting as everybody's been saying. And um, we started doing RISE grants for small businesses in BIPOC communities. And that has really been a game changer for a lot of people in our communities because now they're getting, you know, funded with dollars for these small businesses who have been really affected because of the pandemic, because of the social unrest or whatever. Um, it has really taken a life of its own and has helped so many hundreds of people, not just in Chicago, but around the country, wherever we have service. Um, and I'm really proud of that because I think that at the end of the day, you know, we don't just talk the talk, we walk the walk, right, as people say. And it has really given us a platform to use our, not just, you know, our dollars, but also our media, because as Comcast, we own NBC Universal. And here in Chicago, we have NBC5, we have Telemundo Chicago, and those people are just running, you know, full force, trying to get the stories out and getting great stories, like on our, you know, making a different segments and Marcando La Diferencia. Um, we also have our Comcast Newsmaker segments, which I use, use for myself to help all of our nonprofits get the word out about their missions, get the word out about what they're doing. Um, helping them to really use that as a platform for them to get the, the news out about what they may have coming up, you know, whether it's a gala, whether it's, you know, a, a 5K to raise money. Um, it really is amazing how all of those pieces of the puzzle have been just evolving, as you said, um, throughout the years. And now when somebody has something that they feel is really important to get out, people don't have a budget you know, for media, they don't have a budget for marketing or promotion. So they come to us and we say, okay, what is it that we need to help you with? Well, I need to get the story out about, you know, this particular program we're doing. We really have, you know, all this, these dollars from the federal government or the state, and we want to be able to help more families. We help them get that word out. We help them to make sure that their stories, their missions, their programs, are being told on our you know airwaves and um and that's great because not everybody can do that you know the targets of the world can't do it even the at&t's can't do it because we have the media side of things which is really incredible when it comes to you know not having spending all the dollars but usually using our media that we have to get those word you know the word out yeah, for sure. I feel like it really puts you in a unique position to yeah. to help out in in a very broad way. Yeah. Uh, how with so many needs, and you pointed out so many, how do you prioritize who gets um, the the resources um, yeah. most you know immediately? 
Well, you know, the great thing is, is we can't be everything to everybody, right? And that's really, I think, important when it comes to our funding, because we do have a national platform that we use. We do have national partners that have local affiliates here in Chicago. And so those national partners that we have here do get preference because of the fact that we already know um, what they do. We know what their missions are. We know that when we give them you know, technology dollars, what they're gonna be used on. And so for us, when we look at something like that, we make sure that number one, they obviously are a national affiliate of one of our bigger partners. Number two, that they are using those dollars for technology to obviously, you know, better put to better use whatever they have, whether it's a computer lab, whether it's programming that they need, whether it's staffing needs, um, all of that is taken into consideration, but it is streamlined and it is really focusing on mainly technology. Um, we do have obviously things that we do outside of that, but it's not as much in terms of dollars that we can put toward that because really what we're trying to do is bridge that digital divide and make sure that at the end of the day that the people that we're working with are using those dollars to really increase um, the usage of those particular communities that have left been left behind in the past. Yeah, no, that makes um, a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And I feel like social impact from what I've read about you is very personal to you. Yeah, so um, my mom and dad, both born in Texas, they were born in Crystal City, Texas, a really tiny little town, um, met in second grade, you know, fell in love and went through high school and everything together and then um, moved to San Antonio to a bigger city. And my dad became an apprentice printer and um, moved our family to Chicago. And so, uh, you know, put us through private school and everything else. And, and the interesting thing is, is because he was a migrant worker, you know, initially he was going from, you know, place to place, different states and doing work and my mom. And then um, he ended up being an entrepreneur. He opened up his own printing company in Pilsen. And that's where I grew up. And, and certainly he put us through private school and, and you know gave us all the things that an everyday family would have vacations or what have you and it was you know he provided an amazing life for us and so i'm i'm really proud of the fact that you know he came from humble beginnings and he himself made sure that he started his own company and and was you know had his own business and things and was certainly one of the most um I would say romantic people. He, he would take my mom on vacations all the time, and you know, have mariachi serenading her for her birthday. <laughs> it was it was incredible. So you know, he's been gone almost twenty years now, and so I try and move, use that tradition and and play the mariachi song for her birthday and things uh, every year on her birthday since he's been gone. And um, you know, and and he left a legacy. I mean, you know, he had four kids. Me being the youngest, they saved the best for last, is what I always. Say. <laughs> hey, I'm the oldest, so <laughs> doesn't apply here. Things <laughs> wouldn't agree with that, but that's okay because I know the truth. So um, yes, yes, I stick to that story all the time. But um, certainly, no, I love it. you know, provided an amazing life for us, and he was uh, just a great dad. And you know, my mom, God bless her, she's still here too. She'll be ninety. And um, very supportive wow. of all the work that I do. She's very proud of the fact that, 
you know, I'm always coming up with something new that I get an award for or something. And she's just like so proud. <laughs> I was just going to say she must be so proud. I, I know that um, that's definitely the, the experience for, for my parents as well. And especially when they've worked so hard and and really given you everything they've got. And then to see that uh, really yield in, in success the way it has with you, I'm sure, is wonderful yeah. for her to see. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love Pilsen. Uh, I Right now I live pretty close to it. I live in Bridgeport. So Pilsen is a, a vibrant community in um, Chicago for those who don't live in the Chicago area, but it must have been such a cool neighborhood to grow up in. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because, you know, it's so gentrified now. It's changed so much um, from when we were growing up, but there's still these little pockets and, and stores and things. I mean, like I'm still like 18th and Blue Island. It's like whenever I can get over there to La Casa del Pueblo to go get like yes. some, some food or El Milagro, I'm just like all over it. I can't get enough of it. Uh, but yeah, it, those are still little pockets of places that they still have some of my favorite food. And, you know, my, my mom's old mailman is still there. And so I run into him and he's always like, oh, how's your oh. life? You know, because she doesn't live there anymore. But um, certainly brings back a lot of great memories. And, and you know what? It's afforded me to be able to bring grants and things to that particular area. Um, I'm really excited because I have many areas there of uh, Gads Hill and Poder and, um, you know, Resurrection Project. Uh, those are all, you know, El Valor. Those are all organizations that we fund with technology grants and things. And so it's so great to be able to come full circle and be able to bring, you know, resources back to that community because I have a seat at the table <laughs> is what I yes. No. Yeah. I, I love to see that. It's it's so great when when you can bring it in full circle. You're able to give back to to the community in a meaningful way. Um, once you've you've uh, you know gone on and 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 done uh, great work for your career um, as well, which brings me to the uh, the project that you launched this year. Um, it's called hashtag love purse, as I mentioned in the intro. And I understand this idea was born out of an act of volunteerism on your part for a safe haven foundation, mm -hmm. right? Which is an organization that helps women and survivors of domestic abuse by providing critical resources and housing services. And we know that there was a huge need for that during the pandemic. In fact, data shows that there was a huge spike in domestic violence cases reported during the lockdown um, in 2020 across the nation and across the globe, which led to many women seeking alternative housing and some ending up homeless. In the state of Illinois alone, there were more than 30,000 calls made to the Illinois Domestic Violence Hotline in 2020. And that was a 20% increase from the previous year. Um, and the calls were predominantly from women. So we know the COVID-19 pandemic intensified and worsened a lot of difficult home situations, but fleeing abuse at home also meant facing a life-threatening virus, right? So this is an entirely new issue that has come to light due to the unique circumstances of the pandemic. Um, and as we're on the cusp of Domestic Violence Awareness Month in October, I wanted to be sure we discuss this very important topic and we, as a community, are rallying together to be a part of the solution. And you, my friend, have already begun paving the way with hashtag love purse. So tell us about this project. Well, you know, it's funny because um, for the past five years, every March, being Women's History Month, I would use that opportunity to highlight one of the women that I know in my life. And, um, you know, I, I figured, okay, you know, we'll, we'll highlight all these women. Um, let people know how great they are, the kind of work that they're doing, and why I feel that they should be, you know, given a big shout out on these the, the days. 
So I talked to Nelly uh, Vasquez Roland from a safe haven in February of this past year. And we were just having a conversation and um, I was asking her how things were going at this, you know, the shelter and things. And she just mentioned that it was just overwhelming because they had so many more women coming in that were in domestic abuse, you know, situations and were fleeing their homes with nothing but, you know, the shirt on their back. Um, they had people that were incarcerated that were being let out because of COVID and they didn't, you know, they weren't big offenders. So they were letting them out as well. Then they had the influx of women who were working like in the hotel industry or restaurant industry, losing their jobs because hotels had closed, restaurants had closed. So needless to say, there was, you know, lots of people knocking on their door saying we need a place to stay. And she mentioned that they were really, you know, could use some toiletries. So, um, I told her, hey, you know what I'll do is I will highlight women during um, Women's History Month, ask them to, I'll challenge them to donate a purse, you know, rather than just the toiletries, which I didn't think was going to be, you know, I couldn't see somebody giving someone a plastic bag with some toiletries. I felt like there needed to be something more significant, like a purse, something that they could put them in rather than just having a bag. But with that came the idea of a note of inspiration. And as I thought about it more, I thought about how important it would be if I was on the receiving end to get that note of inspiration telling me that this too shall pass, that this is something, you know, obviously that is, you know, very difficult, but that people are thinking about them, that they still matter and that we respect them and things. And although we would never meet face to face because these, you know, they're strangers, we're strangers to them. Um, it would be filled with love because somebody would take the time to go buy the items, to put them in this purse, to write the note of inspiration. And it just came to me and I thought it's a love purse because it's filled with love. So I went, you know, quickly to, you know, called Nellie and I said, I had this idea. She was like, oh my God, I love that idea. I said, okay, you'll be the first one. I'm going to highlight you first. I'm going to talk about safe haven. I'm going to tell people that we are collecting for you guys um, and see how it goes. <clears throat> excuse me. And as I started highlighting women and talking about, you know, why I was highlighting them and the work that they do in communities and, you know, as public servants, most of them servant leaders and things, I challenged them. I said, and I want you to donate a purse, you know, and have people in your honor donate a purse to a safe haven. And lo and behold, it just snowballed and everybody that I highlighted was just so thrilled about the idea and said, oh my God, I'll do it, I'll do it. And, and just people that were, you know, reading the postings were calling me and private messaging me and saying, you know, I have two, I have five, I'll, you know, drop them off there, I'll mail them. <laughs> and Nellie called me one day and said, oh my God, like they're just pouring in left and my, right. My security guys keep calling me saying, they just dropped off four more purses, you know, well, we need to, we need a storage area. And they, they were just storing all these purses um, throughout the, the month of March. And so in April, we did like an unveiling of all these purses and um, we had an event so that we could pass them out to the women that at the shelter. And it was, I mean, it, it was so overwhelming to hear from some of these women what that meant to them, because number one, you know, they had all of the toiletries in there that we take for granted as we go into our linen closets, right? So, you know, shampoo, conditioner, deodorant, floss, nail, you know, files, um, slippers for the shower, washcloths. I mean, just everything 
that we can possibly think of was in this purse along with the note of inspiration. And so it became this, you know, really big love purse, you know, campaign, which has really grown into something that I couldn't have even imagined because we did that in April. We gave those away. She still just today posted something about the new women that have come into the shelter and the purses that she's given them because they, you know, are storing a lot of these purses. Um, and then a friend of mine called and said, hey, can we do this in Aurora? Because Mutual Ground in Aurora has so many needs there. And we did it there. And then my other friend called and said, I'm on the board for the crisis center in Elgin. Can we do it there? And I said, yes. And, you know, today we're collecting for um, Metropolitan Family Services DuPage. And we are also collecting for La Casa Norte, which is a homeless shelter for younger um, generation of women. Um, we will be doing another big collection with uh, the clerk of Cook County. Karen Yarbrough will, will be given to Sarah's in and Oak Park and to another um, shelter as well. And I mean, it's just, it has become so much more than I could have ever imagined. But I think that number one, the need has been, you know, really astronomical since COVID. The fact that some people feel like they just don't know what to do. And this is really easy because on my website, um, you know, lovepurse.org, I tell people just go and see, you'll see the whole list of all of the toiletries that are needed. There's even a link on there for the purses under $20 um, to give because they do have to be new because of COVID, they can't use used purses. Um, right. I did have a few women that wanted to give me coach purses and I said, oh. I had to, I had to decline. Um, only, you know, not that I wasn't grateful, but because we want each woman to get kind of the same, you know, uh, right. value purse, it, it was certainly very kind and thoughtful, but I just said, you know what, that will buy you five purses, you know, filled with stuff. So why don't we do the five or the 10, what that would have cost and use it, you know, to put for more women, uh, just because again, we want it to be fair across the, you know, we want somebody sitting next to somebody getting a coach person, someone's getting a purse from Kohl's or Target. Um, yeah. wouldn't be right. So needless to say, I just think that the act of kindness, you know, that people have really taken this and said, look, I can do a purse party. A friend of mine just had a Prosecco and purse party at her house in Naperville. I love that. Prosecco <laughs> yeah. and purse party. And, I mean, and these women were just like coming in droves, dropping off these purses. And, <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, this is great. Uh, but they've been very creative you know another friend had a purse party too and and she had wine and cheese and things like that and you know they they stuffed the purses together they wrote the notes of inspiration together and and then they prayed actually um you know and prayed and asked god to bless the women on the receiving end that would be gifted these purses that they find themselves in a better situation at some point so it's been a it's you know it's just been beautiful to see uh, that people have embraced it and, and just, they, they, people just have good hearts, you know, everybody that's reached out to me, I have one, a woman in Dallas that wants to do it, another woman in San Antonio, um, which means the world to me because that's where my family is from. And then, you know, I had a woman in Ontario that I'm having a call with next week because she's interested in doing it in Canada. So, you know, <laughs> we'll just keep it going as long as it keeps going. I'm like, God bless them all. I'll just do whatever, you know, whatever I'm supposed to be doing is what I'm going to do. 
What a beautiful mission. I mean, I when I saw it, I was like, this is such a cool idea and very unique too. Obviously, we hear about donations of essential items and uh, I usually it's, you know, given in a plastic bag, but you intentionally chose purse. Um, so why did you want to go with purses? Well, uh, again, I, I felt, again, if it was me, you know, you're already feeling, you know, just disheartened because you've lost your place of you know your home your bed whatever and you're in this shelter and you don't even have anything when you walk in there except the clothes on your back some people even walk in there without shoes from what i've heard and i just thought you know how insensitive would that be just to hand a woman a plastic bag when you can put it in a purse and on my website i talk about that it's not just a purse like it isn't you you have some things in there that are so very important to you, whether it's, you know, your license or what have you, but photos of your family, you know, little trinkets that you keep in there for good luck, maybe that your, you know, kid made you at school or something, right? And that purse is so significant to how you feel, let alone the contents that are in there. I watched some of these women when they opened up the purses at a safe haven, and they were just like kids in a candy store, like so excited. They're like, oh my God, oh, let's smell this, smell this. They're telling each other, you know, um, this is a beautiful shampoo. I love the bottle. Oh, look at this, you know, oh, and I got chocolates in mine. I mean, it was all these little things again that we take for granted. So I felt like that purse was going to give them not only a sense of hope, but you know, that note was gonna let them know that somebody somebody cared about them, that somebody was looking out for them, even though, again, that they would never meet in a million years, I'm sure. But nonetheless, that this is something that is so significant to us as women, that it has more of a meaning when it comes filled with something for you. And, and you, know, you could see the happiness even in the kids. Like there was a woman there, her little girl was with her and she was helping her mom like take things out of the purse and she's saying oh, mom look a nail pile oh mom look you know there's a keychain oh mom like she was so excited for her mom and the mom was like leave it in there leave it in there don't take it out right but she's so <laughs> like thrilled and then she was reading the note and she said nobody has ever written me a note before she goes this is so beautiful thank you and i said you're welcome it wasn't from me it was from another woman that donated it but you're very welcome um and i had some guy friends who reached out to me and said hey is this just women empowering women because i would like to do this with my daughter and i'm like oh my god i love that idea i go yes please share it with your daughter so you know a couple of them went out and bought the purse and got the contents and with their daughters they filled it because they said you know i want my daughters to know that it's important for their dad to you know support women and women's issues and things so it it really has kind of taken on a life of its own and i just i just want to see where it keeps going i'm just you know on the ride Right. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to see uh, how this <laughs> initiative continues to expand. And it's it's true that there is power in uh, written notes, yeah. uh, especially handwritten notes. I, they It's just another level of personalization. And it really does give you the sense of someone thought about me. Someone put right. thought and to paper, you know, they penned their thoughts and, and extended their well wishes and their care. So I'm so glad that you've added that touch to to hashtag yep. love purse yeah and anyone can participate in this across the country around the globe right so you can yeah. just go to the website and make your donation yeah yes and so like right now for hispanic heritage month um i'm really excited because chicago latina expo 
has decided to have people donate um, that come to the expo. So on Friday, October the 1st, we will have uh, a booth at the Latina Expo and they will actually be dropping off purses and the first 50 people will get a Love Purse t-shirt. So um, hopefully that'll entice people to come and, and donate. And then I also have Arabelle um, Rosales who will be doing Runway Latinx. Every year she has a fashion show and she also has adopted this and will be collecting purses on Sunday of her event, which is Sunday, I think, October 17th. Um, that will be the day that she's collecting purses as well at her fashion show, which makes sense, fashion and fashion and Latina Expo. So they're both collecting for me and we'll be doing that um, for Hispanic Heritage Month. And then I also have um, my friend Martha Tobias who has collected you know, dollars from a, she's fundraising actually, from her golf outing for the Women of Lean, uh, which is also a Latina entrepreneurial network. And um, she is going to be donating money for purses as well for a love purse. So it's just been unbelievable as to how many people have been supportive of me and of this mission and, and really all of the shelters that, you know, we, that I've named that are still going to be collecting and being gifted all of these purses for these women. Yeah, to see all that support behind this project for you has been, it's really, really neat that it's resonating and people are eager to get involved. I myself will be donating a purse because this this feels like, yes, I'm so excited to do this um, and, and write a note and send my love out to someone who really, really needs it right now. So thank you for doing this such important work. Um, I, I think that hopefully it'll be healing for somebody who's receiving it. Yeah, and, and that's the key is, again, you know, you have to try and imagine what it's like having to flee your home um, or, you know, being incarcerated and coming out and not having anywhere to come to and you end up at a shelter and, you know, you walk in and all of a sudden they give you this great purse, right? And this purse is filled with all kinds of personal items, you know, feminine products and nail files and slippers and, you know, whatever else. And so I can only imagine what they feel like when they open the purse and they know that this is theirs, that they don't have to give it back, that they can take this with them, you know, throughout their journey. And my hope and my prayer is that at some point that woman, you know, will get back on her feet and get you know, to know what it was like to feel that somebody thought about them and really wanted to help them and that they'll pay it forward, you know, small or big. But one day, hopefully we'll hear about, oh, that woman had received a love purse and look what she's doing now. And, you know, hopefully she'll pay it forward and her kids, too, may see that mom is so happy and maybe they'll want to do something in the future to help other people. Yeah. What a what a wonderful mission of of hopefully paying it forward. And I'm sure it'll go a really long way. Um, since we've been talking a lot about some of the work that you're you're doing in the Hispanic Latinx community, I wanted to pivot on that a little bit. And before I do, by the way, um, just because there's there's always a lot of talk around terminology, uh, would you um, clarify for me what the preference is Hispanic, Latinx, Latino, Latina? Like, I feel like I've heard a lot of different things. I just want to give our listeners and viewers a, a little clarity. Uh, well, and it's funny that you brought that up because I was on a panel for the National Association of Women Business Owners um, this past Wednesday, 
and all three of us Latinas were sitting on this panel and it was um, Iris Martinez, who is the Cook County Circuit Court clerk. And then yeah. a very good friend of mine who's an architect and also a book sister with today's Inspired Latinas that I have done. And we all were talking about that whole Latinx thing. And I said, who came up with that and why? Like, I, for some reason, it, it rubs me the wrong way. I don't like the, the term Latinx. I don't know why. Maybe because I'm older and I feel as though, you know, I refer to Hispanic as, you know, a cultural thing. Like, you know, lots of people are Hispanic, right? Um, but I had this one sitting next to me. She's from Puerto Rico. It's me, you know, Texan. And then my, my other panelist who was Mexican, you know, from Mexico. So we talked about that and they all agreed. They all agreed. They said, where did Latinx come from? Like we were all you know, scratching our heads about it. But I said, they said, well, do you want people to call you Latinx? I go, no, actually, I don't. <laughs> you know, call me Latina or call me Hispanic, but Latinx just doesn't go well with me so and okay. I, the age yeah life, I have no idea i have no idea but you know i'm 60 plus so maybe that has to do with it um i was probably the one more, more boisterous on the panel with no <laughs> uh, so it wasn't surprising to some of the audience people that knew me well they were like yeah. oh yeah maria has no filters she, she'll just call it the way she sees it and you know um <laughs> as we all should because uh, you know we we want to be um I, and we should be respectful of 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 whatever the the community prefers and i do feel like this terminology was obviously created because with the intention of trying to be inclusive right so they added the x to get rid of the the o so that it's not just when you say latino that it's it's yeah the assumption is with with men but then to your point when i talk to people of the actual community they're like just say latino latina like i was like okay like you know but i, I wanted that clarity from somebody because i'm like what is it because ev everything i write now everyone's like oh you gotta put latinx you have to put the x in there because it's more inclusive and i was like oh okay <laughs> <laughs> unless well, you ask somebody over 60 they're not going to say that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and then in Hispanic is also uh, okay to say for the community. Right. Yes, okay, because I've also heard you know that oh, but that's just exclusive to European. Um, but I'm uh, then there's Hispanic Heritage Month. We don't say Latin, right? It's next month. Yeah, it's Latin next month. <laughs> that change into that. <laughs> <laughs> next thing you know, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, well, thank you for clearing that up for me. Um, <laughs> But you've been such a strong advocate for your community over the years through your work, and we know there's a clear need for representation of Latin, uh, you know, Latino, Hispanic people across industries, from business and politics to media and entertainment. And as companies and organizations all over the nation attempt to diversify and/or evaluate their inclusivity practices, especially given the social unrest that unfolded last year and all the conversation that sparked for BIPOC communities. What advice do you have for current leaders to ensure they're engaging the community? Well, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is dialogue. You know, um, I'm, I'm glad to see that even like at Comcast that we have really embraced the fact that we needed to have these employee resource groups, you know, so that they could have a voice and that they could say what they preferred, you know, at work, what they didn't prefer, you know, things like that. I think that that it's time, um, it's overtime that people have listened to their employees, that people have sat down and had dialogues and talked about, you know, being uncomfortable, you know, with uh, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, as they say, because 
people needed to hear that. They needed to hear what their employees liked and didn't like about, you know, how they were being treated. Um, you know, things that people would say. I mean, I've had people say to me, oh, oh you speak really well. And I think as opposed to what? Right. Yeah. <laughs> because of my surname, you're not expecting me to speak well. I, I mean, that to me, it's like, it's so insulting. And I've had it only happen a handful of times. But my question has always been when somebody had said that was as opposed to what? And they're like, well, you know, you don't have an accent. And I said, should I? <laughs> you know, I mean, where are you from? And they'll say, oh, no, I'm from here. Well, so am I. But I mean, where are you from is what you're asking me. So I'm asking yes. you, I, you know, send the, the question right back. And people will say, well, you know, my parents were from, you know, Poland or whatever. Oh, OK. So you don't have a Polish accent either. They go, oh no, because we were born here. Yeah, so was I. So you know, it's that 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 sometimes it's that ignorant conversation sometimes that you have with somebody, and you think to yourself, like, would they ask somebody who had you know a, a Polish surname if they're from here? No, but right, yeah. Usually, if they're Asian or if they're you know um, of any kind, you know, Hispanic, then they assume that there should be some kind of accent from somewhere. So. Yeah, it's, it's kind of comical, but, you know, at the same time, it's ignorance. And I think that it's important to put that out there and to have those uncomfortable conversations sometimes with people so that they understand, like, how you feel, like, when somebody says that. Or, you know, yeah. the minute that somebody says, oh, you know, ask her because she's, you know, Hispanic, she can talk to them in Spanish. Well, don't assume. Like, yes, I am fluent and I'm proud of it. But don't always make it an assumption that because of your surname that you should be fluent in any language, right? Right. Um, or so by appearance. Yeah, I can completely relate to that. I get questions like that all the time as well as a South Asian American woman born and raised here. I've, I got that question all the time when I was in school. Where are you from? And I'm like, Chicago. No, no, but like, really, where are you from? <laughs> no, I was born in Chicago. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. Yeah. Um, so if yeah. you want to ask me my ethnicity, then just ask me my ethnicity. Right. 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 Yeah, I mean, and that's what I think, you know, I think now the conversations have become more broad and certainly people are understanding more the um, how insulting it is when people put that out there and, and they just assume just because of the way you look or because of your surname or what have you, that you yeah. have to be put into a certain category. Um, you know, I happen to have grandkids, you know, that are half Polish, half Mexican. And so they're, I call them little Policans, but <laughs> you know, they, um, you know, it, I'm sure going through life, they're going to get questions too, because one of them is darker, the other one's lighter. And, you know, so it's, it is going to be different, but it's, it's more, now it's becoming more natural to have like interracial couples and to have people of different ethnicities together and it's not just one culture um so i don't know it's it's pretty funny though when you think about how you know stereotypical people can be oh yeah yeah i mean we've grown up with so much of that just and that's why it's going to take some work to unprogram a lot of this yeah. right it's, i mean it's just been going on for so long it's been normalized for so long yeah. so to try to break through it's going to take some time it's going to take some work and and it's going to take people being a lot more conscious about what they're saying, their their biases that they have, and challenging them. And I, I'm also glad to see a lot of people becoming unapologetic about challenging it. The way that you said, you know, um, 
yeah, that's that. What What do you mean? What did you expect me to sound like? Yeah. Right. And so that's that's also taken a lot of courage on on the part of the person that's being, um, you know, assumed about, I guess I should yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. And, and we're, you know, we're also approaching equal payday for Latina women in October. And and that's wild to me because this is the last group of women um, where the, the pay is is not reached yet for the white male counterparts. In so in 2020, what white men made on average, Latina women are just catching up with two more months remaining in the year. And the fact that in 2021, this is still the case yeah. is just bizarre and wild to me. And so this is all the way October 21st. In your experiences, have you found it very difficult to work with organizations to try to close that gender gap? Where are you seeing that that discrepancy? You know, and again, I think that just comes um, out of pure ignorance. You know, people thinking that, you know, the man is going to be much more smarter, much more, you know, aggressive to ask for what they want. And I, you know, I've spoken to groups of young women and I've said to them that when it comes to them, you know, starting their careers, when it comes to them, making sure that they're comfortable asking for what they're worth um that they need to they need to practice that you know have somebody mentoring them have somebody telling them okay if you're going to go for this interview you need to make sure that you are asking for what you know anybody else would ask for and no less um and that and sometimes you know in the latino community that's a little bit harder because we have always been taught to, you know, be respectful, you know, not to challenge the status quo, right? We gotta, you know, stay focused, stay respectful, stay, you know, in your lane, so to speak. And and I challenge people to get out of the lane. I challenge people to go all the way, you know, to the other side because I have granddaughter, she's gonna be 18. And, you know, I want her to, to know what her worth is when she starts her career, you know, four or five years from now. And I told her, you know, you have to make sure that when somebody tells you something that you don't agree with, that you are respectful, but that you're straightforward about what your expectation is, that, you know, they don't put on you that what they're not putting on, you know, the, the young, you know, Caucasian guy right here and asking you to do something, right? I mean, I'm all about being fair across the board, but I'm also making sure that they understand as they're going to go into the, the work field um that they're going to ask for what they know is their worth and you know don't underestimate yourself at all don't feel like somebody's going to say okay well we'll give him you know 15 an hour and we'll give you 10 because you're a woman and you're a woman of color i'm like not going to happen baby girl you need to make sure that you ask for what you're worth so you know and she's pretty strong-willed so i think she'll be okay um but you know it's that kind of stuff when i meet because you know working with the hispanic scholarship fund with the students that I meet, because we do get to mentor them for a whole day, um, they always ask me that question. They always say, you know, so when you were growing up, like, you know, was it really hard? I go, when I was growing up, let me tell you, we didn't have internet. We didn't have half the things that you all have. So consider yourself blessed and lucky because it was a struggle to try and just, you know, get into the work world and, and ask for what I felt that was worth, right? Um, so very different times right now, but, at the same time, it's a great time because you can research stuff like that online. You can see what people are being paid in that industry. You can see yeah. what the men are making versus the women. So, 
you know, you just have to be equipped and really have a sense of self-worth because if you go out there and you're just like, okay, whatever you want to pay me, that's fine. Then that's what you're going to get. Um, but and again, not everybody's strong enough to ask that either. And I get that, but I also hope that employers are, you know, taking that into consideration and knowing that they need to be fair across the board. Um, and, you know, we talk about that at work. I mean, we look at what people are doing as they're coming in, whether it's a technician or a customer service representative or what have you, and say, okay, they all need to be equalized across the board because they're all coming in with the same amount of knowledge, more or less, right? They don't know this industry yet. They don't know, um, you know, what the ins and outs are. So the pay needs to be equal for everybody, unless they're like stellar and have like, you know, all this other stuff behind them. Um, yeah. But, I mean, gender equality, obviously, it, I don't know if we'll ever catch up. I, I really don't. Um, I hope so. I hope in my lifetime that we do, like I said, because I have granddaughters. Um, but, you know, I don't see it happening like anytime real soon at all because there's still. No, right now they say that it's we're like a couple hundred years out still, right. which is alarming. Right. And so we're yeah, obviously we're, a lot of us are doing the work to try to close that gap as, as fast <laughs> as possible. But it, it's it's. It seems like such an easy solution, yet it's such a challenge, and it still it puzzles me. Um, the one thing I do I've noticed that I do like about um, some hiring practices is that they're, they're they're disclosing what the salary is in the job description. That way, you know that this is what someone's going to get paid, whether you know you're a man or a woman or you're a person of color or not. You know, it, you just you know what you're going to get, and that way you're not pigeonholing yourself because you come from a long line. This is what's happened to me. I started off in a really um, low uh, compensation structure and I didn't know that. And so then every opportunity I had thereafter, I, you know, would ask for about five to 10,000 more. And then even then I felt so uncomfortable because I was like, am I asking for too much? Is this, is this yeah. too much? And then the employers would just love it because they're like, oh, wow, this is below what we budgeted for. Cool. And they won't, they won't say, hey, um, actually you, we have more like 30,000 more for yeah. you to offer you, but you know, I, I, that's why I do love when I see the compensation blatantly listed out there. Well, and, and again, you know, you're taught, you know, at a certain point to be respectful, right? You're taught like, you know, not to really push the envelope too much when it comes to salaries and things. And I think that's outrageous because as I think about, again, my granddaughters and think, I don't want them to have to be you know, begging for another 5,000, 10,000 when somebody else is getting 15 or 20. Yeah. You know, that's just unfair at all, in, in all respects to me. So, uh, you know, I, again, I hope and I pray that this moves a little bit faster, you know, in terms of equality. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to happen, but for my own granddaughters and things, you know, I'm always going to teach them to, you know, speak up for themselves to make sure that they're asking for what they know they're worth. Um, and, you know, doing it in a way that, you know, hey, it's unacceptable. I just know this person's getting a lot more than I am and I'm doing, you know, all the work, right? So, um, yeah, we'll have to figure it out as we go along, I guess. I know, I know, because it's tricky because part of this knowing your self-worth is then being, you know, true to the stance of walking away when you're not going to get it. But then it's like, well, if I walk away, I walk away from an opportunity that I really wanted. And that's, that, that's a, terrible thing to have to, you know, do. Yeah. Um, I saw something that in your bio that really struck a chord with me. You, you have a quote in there that says, if you don't have a seat at the table, bring your own chair and five others. And uh, that really resonated. But what is it about that quote that you loved? And and how has that translated into 
what your philosophy in in your career and and that's funny because i get asked that question a lot and and people love that quote because they say oh my god that's so true like you know and i think what's important is you know at some point in your career you're going to get to the point where you do have a seat at the table and that you are one of the people that you know can make some decisions that um, are really important in the communities but also with that comes responsibility and that's my point is like as i look at you know retiring in a couple of years my hope is is that the next person that comes into this position the next person that that, that has the seat at the table that they're going to think about all the other people that they need to bring with them right and yeah. so that means you know preparing others preparing others and making them understand that when you're here you have to make sure that you're bringing all these other people with you because it's going to take a whole village to make the changes that need to be made whether it's at your company whether it's in the community um, those are really important issues and i think that you know especially as women and there are a lot of women that i know that are really strong and that have really great positions and things but they're all thinking the same way they're all saying I'm going to mentor these young girls to come after me. I'm going to make sure that they know how to use the power that they have and that they bring others with them so that they're not just in their glory, you know, really enjoying this position and saying, you know, nobody else, it's just me, right? No, you need to make sure that you surround yourself with like-minded people. You need to make sure that when you have the opportunity that you bring people with you, introduce them to the players, you know, make sure that you're networking, that you're having them say, oh, you know, I want you to meet this person because you're in banking, you gotta meet this person. She's, you know, president of the bank. Oh, you wanna go into social work? I know a great, you know, um, social work person. So I have friends in all industries, right? Whether it's law, whether it's medicine, whether it's banking, and I introduce a lot of the young people that I meet to these people. Oh, you want to go into, you want to be an architect? Got a great person for you. She is one of the very few architects, you know, and, you know, I have a really dear friend who started Today's Inspired Latinas that I have been privileged to work with and, you know, co-authored some books with, and she's a pilot. Very few Latina pilots out there. And yeah. I have introduced a few people that I know that want to become pilots to her. And she's put them through this rigorous program that she has for youths in, you know, um, aviation. Um, so, you know, it's just, it's that kind of thing when you have that seat and when you have the know-how and the wherewithal, bring all these people with you, make sure you're introducing them to people, make sure that if somebody calls you and says, Hey, I'm looking to have somebody mentor me in this segment, you know, in this industry that you put them in touch with people because it's your responsibility. You know, it takes a village, I always say. But yeah, that's that's one of my favorite quotes. <laughs> yeah, no, it's so true. And like I said, it struck a chord with me because, yes, uh, uh, you know, I know that once I create a seat for myself at the table, that I have a sense of responsibility to create seats for others and make sure that at the very least, like you said, the the most simple way to to make an impact is make introductions with others who might be able to help someone out if you can't directly help somebody out in that particular profession. So I, I definitely hear that. Um, the One of the other things that I feel like a lot of women struggle with is um, as we are, you know, also observing self-care awareness month is taking care of yourselves and setting meaningful boundaries to make sure that we are filling our cups and being the best versions of ourselves. So as a busy woman yourself, I mean, clearly, as I listed off everything that you do, how do you find time for self-care and what does that look like for you? Yeah, 
Well, you know, I have to say that I, I have not been on a vacation for like two years because of pandemic. <laughs> yes. We have not gone anywhere. And there was a time that my husband and I would like just slip away for like a long weekend or whatever. And we were just like clamoring and dying to go somewhere. Um, but that being said, I have always loved, I, I live in Riverside um, and I've always loved our village. And we do have a beautiful walking trail right near the Displains River. And so typically in the mornings, I will take a walk, about an hour walk, a power walk and listen to my um, Latin music station and power walk as fast as I can and step at the river and just say a prayer there and you know just thank God that I live in a beautiful village and that I have you know um, a great life and, and a husband who is very supportive of what I do and that loves me to pieces and has been my husband for 46 years <laughs> so um, I think about you know that and the fact that I'm so privileged to have a job that I love and certainly now a nonprofit that I'm running. And so all of those things to say that, you know, it's not easy every day. I mean, some days I have, you know, six, seven Zoom calls and I haven't been able to get out of the chair because it's, I'm so busy, but I always find time. Um, my husband and I love to just, you know, cuddle up on the couch at night and, you know, just he'll have a cup of coffee. I have a glass of wine. <laughs> we'll sit there and we just talk about our day or we take an evening stroll. Um, and you know, just chill and, and relax and things. And if you have somebody who's supportive of what you do, and if you have you know, the privilege to do what you love to do, um, I think that's half the battle. But typically, you know, a power walk for me really helps me to just unwind first thing in the morning. And by the time I come back, I already know what's gonna be waiting for me and I know I'm gonna be crazy busy. Um, you know, sometimes my grandkids get home from school and I'm just like, all right, you know, who's got what going on and did you get homework and do, you know, you're going to work and who's going to drop you off? Who's going to pick you up? And stuff. Yep. Um, yes. it gets to be a little hairy, but, um, you know, I just do my best. And if I feel overwhelmed, then, you know, I might call a friend and say, Hey, what's going on? And they'll say, Oh, let's go meet at seasons 52. Let's go, you know, have a glass of wine or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, so, uh, <laughs> done. Done. Wine is the magic word here. <laughs> I, I definitely feel that. And I, I think uh, you were spot on with the, the point of the importance of having a strong support system, people in, who are going to be there to allow you to have that um, that moment of self-care as you need it. So okay. it's it's wonderful to hear that you have that in, in your husband and, and the people around you. Um, as a final question, as you look back on your career, what's something that you know now that you wish you knew when you were just starting your career or um, starting to advance? What's something that you you wish and could impart on others as they navigate their careers now? Yeah, you know, I I wish I I hadn't felt like I had to be everything to everybody. You know, like um, being pulled, you know, in, in for every project, like if somebody had something going on, oh, Maria can help, oh, Maria, you know, and I felt like I couldn't say no, like I had to, you know, do 110 things versus the 10 that I really should have been doing, um, you know, kind of, you know, getting to say no, like, no, I, I can't take that on because I already have this going on, um, you know, trying my best to, to, again, be everything to everybody so that I could feel valued, I guess. Um, so, I think when you start out in your career, you always want to do things like that so that you can go up the ladder, you know, climb it up or that you can be the go-to person, but that doesn't always have to be the case. I mean, uh, 
if you're not great at everything, there is nothing wrong with that because you, nobody's great at everything. And I think that people, you know, make the mistake of trying to be great at everything. And that's very difficult because you put so much pressure on yourself. And when you're young and you're, you know, starting out and you're trying to get into an industry that perhaps, you know, you know nothing about, um, that, that does happen. And so I didn't have a mentor, you know, growing up that, that those things didn't exist at that time. Um, really didn't have that until, you know, way into my adulthood. And so I always say to people, you know, find a good personal board of directors, find people that are going to support you, but are also going to call you out, you know, um, on things that you do. And I have people in my life like that who say to me, I say it in love and you know, I love you <laughs> to pieces. Yeah. yeah. Like zip the lift. Don't do this. Don't do that. Um, and that's really fun for me because, you know, people know that they can be that honest with me and that raw with me and that I'm not going to take offense to it. And that I'm going to be like, ah, yeah, I know I shouldn't have did that or said that. Right. Uh, but again, you know, when you're young and you don't have the wherewithal to think about things like that, you're trying to run around and be everything to everybody. But as you get older, you realize that you choose your battles wisely. You just, you know, have to really think about the things that you do and say. And if you have somebody in your circle, you know, a board of directors that I call them, personal board of directors, um, they'll they'll give you that. In all honesty, they'll tell you, you know, what you need to hear. And um, it's not always going to be sugar coated. So, and I do the same for my own friends who say to me, "What do you think about that?" I'll be like, "You know what? I wouldn't have done that. Here's what I would have said." But you know, and, but again, like she said, my, my dear friend Gwen always tells me, I say it in love. I'm telling you, <laughs> what, you know, what you said probably wasn't going to be the right thing to say. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know. I think about that now. I probably shouldn't have, you know. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that when you start out, you always kind of want to try and, you know, be the everything to everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, because you're so eager, you want to really get out there and you want to, you yeah. know, advance your career. So uh, I think choosing your battles wisely, really great point. And the personal board of directors piece is something that uh, we discussed on a previous episode. So I'm glad to see that, that that's something that uh, is, you know, resonant with you too. And and I have, I have those people and you need that friend that does hold you accountable. So uh, yes, I think that part is also very important. Um, thank you so much for all the sage advice and for for just having such a wonderful conversation with me. And I've, I've taken away so many key things. So I hope our viewers and listeners have done the same. Good. Well, thank you so much. Um, as you know, this love purse means the world to me and to so many women that we're helping. So if anybody wants to, certainly, you know, lovepurse.org or they can just go to Maria at lovepurse.org and reach out and um, have a purse party, a Prosecco and purse party. Yes, <laughs> Prosecco and purse party. Yes, get creative with it. I love that. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and you can go to lovepurse.org to figure out what, how you want to organize it, what, what you want to donate and how you can donate. And so everyone head over there and, um, and thank you for, for starting this. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you so much success with this. I think it's going to be a blast. You seem to be having fun doing it. I love yeah. the episodes and things. So um, wishing you all the best in, in whatever you're going to do with this. Cause I think it's going to just take off like wildfire, kind of like love first did. <laughs> I hope so. Thank you. I, I hear it. I receive it. I appreciate the well wishes and thank you so much once again for being here today.
You're really very welcome. You're very welcome. Well, that's all for this episode cohort. Uh, thank you for listening. Until next time, we're wishing you a powerful and enlightening day. Hey, it's me again. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please subscribe to the show on your favorite streaming service so that you're notified when new episodes are posted. Also, be sure to follow The Quo on social media at The Quo Media across all platforms for the latest and greatest. Thanks again for joining, supporting, and uplifting The Quo community, or as I like to call it, our cohort. Catch you next time.